before we start, can I just say that capricious is given to sudden and unaccountable changes of mood or behaviour. And I didn't know. I didn't want to know what it meant. I just wanted to be able to use it on air because it sounds. <laughs> it's, it's a good word. Well, you can use it now with the knowledge of what it means. I oh, know, but then, then there's no fun, is there? Well, I like to know. So ostensibly means mm-hmm. as appears or is stated to be true, though not necessarily so. And that is how I used it. I agree. And I didn't so, need to know that because I'm not an idiot. <laughs> so, right. We can, without further ado, now we've done that admin, we can yeah. begin. Well, we've done our word admin. <laughs> When is the right time to die? Hello, I'm Nairi. And I'm Phil. We're two friends trying to answer that question. For one of us, it's theoretical. And for the other, that's me, it's all too real. In this series, we'll follow Phil's journey, living with an incurable and life-ending illness, and unpack some of the key debates around assisted dying with some help from experts and campaigners. I wanted the chance to have this discussion in the UK courts. I never got that chance. But this is my story, and this is my podcast. I can't quite believe it, but it's been two years that we've been recording this pod, obviously with big gaps in between, I guess documenting how you're doing and how the disease is progressing and how you're feeling. So I wanted to start by asking you, how are things? What's, what's new? This is by nature a sad story, but my friend who I've known for 25 years um, died on uh, Sunday last of motor neurone disease. And he was 64 years old, was diagnosed with motor neurone disease about two or so years ago. And he, um, I can't think of the word, um, I, I want to use it, it's, a bit, it's dramatic, but it, perhaps it's the right, the right time. He was consumed by the disease. It was, um, it was overrun by it um, fairly quickly and then uh, went downhill quickly in the last three three months. So um, compared to that, you know, my, my discomforts and problems are, um, uh, are relatively small. And um, yeah, you know, you, you get what you're given in life sometimes, don't you? Did you chat to him? Did you, did you kind of, did he turn to you for advice? Well, yes, often uh, and, and the other way around. Um, uh, yeah, my friend had a lot. What, what I noticed, the, the sort of difference is I had time to come to terms with, I have had and, and I'm having time to come to terms with the various problems with the disease, you know, the, the, the medical issues. And um, he didn't. And that's what's so overwhelming. I think, you know, one day to be walking and the next month to be in a wheelchair and one day to feel like you're a bit breathless and then to find yourself in Patworth Hospital a couple of weeks later being fitted up on a ventilator you know that that's just I I would find that bewildering and my friend whose name I'm not going to give because the bereavement is so so recent and I've not even spoken with his his widow yet was incredibly cheerful I think innately cheerful about having lived to 60 something years and had a good life and I think I'm I'm just incredibly impressed by that because I think my own way of trying to fight and skirmish my way through this disease um is is painful it may extend life a little bit but it's not not a pleasant way of doing it i don't think how do you feel now now that he has died 
I always feel, I mean, I, I've known a, a good number of people with motor neurone disease now, and I always feel a bit relieved because I can't help but, you know, um, I don't know, when, we, when, when you are sharing ideas and thoughts and little little ways of trying to make pre- improvements with each other, and I think that's what happens amongst, amongst the ill sometimes, um, you can't help but feel um, a little bit of um, their own suffering and also an amount of responsibility. So, you know, with my uh, friend, we would often talk about, you know, which supplements are worth trying, which daily routine or medications um, and uh, share that sort of stuff. And that's useful. That's a useful crutch for both of us. But in the end of the day, when you become so poorly, I think there's an element of relief. Do you know anything about the circumstances of his death? Was it a good death in inverted commas? I do, and, and it is relevant to this podcast, podcast because it was a, a good death. And, you know, this was a person who, as, as we've said, has been really uh, overwhelmed by the disease um, and died on a summer's day, I think, in his garden with his family around him. And members of the hospice came out. And, and I, but I guess what happens is they started to administer palliative care as he removed his own ventilator and, uh, was unable to breathe and those two things worked well and that's how he passed away and died so it's kind of an ideal death you know we have talked about lots of ways of dying that are definitely not ideal in this podcast and that sounds you know pretty amazing in in the circumstances I think it does also leave me with the question is that I don't know how often that can really happen that uh, your hospice team will come out to your house on a on a weekend and and all those things will fall into place um but I'm delighted it did for uh for for my friend and for his family and that's cool that's really cool you live in a nice kind of area nice postcode that the hospice sounds really nice what it's not like that everywhere is it and you can't choose what kind of yeah. team you get and what kind of access you get yeah, absolutely. I was contacted, you know, after we did the Phil Friend episode about from Not Dead Yet, I was, I was contacted by um, a lady who said that her husband, who'd had um, cancer for a long time, had always thought he would get to a point where he would take his own life at home. And he was medically trained. He had been a surgeon during his career. But what happened is he became quickly incapacitated and ended up in a hospice and um, was in the hospice for seven weeks before he died. He was angry throughout that time at the hospice. Apparently, he was he was incredibly frustrated and incensed about the situation that he'd found himself in. Although, again, I don't think the death it itself was particularly traumatic. Those periods of weeks were really hard for everyone, including the staff at the hospice. It sounds like slightly more hopefully than perhaps we'd previously thought when we started this podcast, it is possible to have a a kind of good death um but it's patchy and it's very much out of your control but if if you're in another country and you'll know better than me which which country we should talk about but what might the outlook be well i think if we took, talked about new zealand and australia and perhaps canada which canada changed its law in 2016 which was the, earlier than the other two that that would be good in fact someone contacted me again this is a this is a friend who contacted me about a visit back to her mum very recently in Canada and her mum is now quite elderly and poorly and lives in sheltered accommodation and talks quite openly about the the made law 
in um, in Canada, which is the medical assisted assistance in dying. So the medical assistance in dying law, when that might be appropriate for her and, and how she might apply it. And apparently when she looks at the obituaries, which is something that she does in her local paper, she quite often sees the code for it, which is so-and-so died um, peacefully at a time and place of their choosing. She is particularly positive about the impact that that's had for having more control at the end and and and, and a, a better finish. I've got to ask you, as this is the the kind of final final part, how have you found? So it was quite a, a kind of mad idea to do this, and we're two years into it now. How how have you actually find found doing it? I'm I'm not saying that I had to kind of twist your arm to do it, but it wasn't your idea. So how have you found it? I didn't want to do it. I mean, let's, let's put that on the table. I know that sounds silly, but I just thought it would be painful and challenging and hard. And it, and it has been all of those things. But it's also strangely been quite therapeutic. And I'm embarrassed to say that because sitting and talking as I am into a microphone, that's a strange way of, of getting therapy when I actually could be talking to friends or family or, you know, or a therapist. It's also put some some structure and purpose into my life, which um, I think was was needed at that moment. So I have much to thank you and producer Rob for um, on this. Much of it has been pretty sobering, though. I mean, this is hardly an up topic. And when we had Martin Underhill, the retired senior policeman, on, and he told me that if I don't, if I choose to do anything myself about my situation, and I look for a way out by taking my own life, then our our the world I leave behind, my family's world, will be thrown upside down without a shadow of a doubt. Now, that was sobering. You know, the, the chances of me actually being someone being prosecuted for being involved in my demise are small, but the chances, in fact, not the chances, it's a certainty that there will be a year-long investigation that will be, be what's the word, invasive and, and traumatic for for those people closest to me. It has been heavy and I've come off recordings and felt, yeah, just tired, I think, just sad. Not not because of um, your company, <laughs> your lovely company, but because it's just heavy, it's a heavy topic. Um, and although you're very good at kind of bringing the lighter sides to it and we've laughed a surprising amount for a podcast that's all about dying and death, but it is heavy and it's it is sad. But I'm so grateful that you've been so open about everything because um, I wasn't sure whether you would be. Although you do still skirt. If I ask you about your feelings, you do like to skirt a feelings uh, question and avoid it if you possibly can. I, I have noticed that. Yeah, I guess that's just the repressed Englishman. And also, this is just going out into anywhere, isn't it? When you when you talk into a microphone. So that is I mean, maybe it's not the right place for confession. I, I don't know. Perhaps it might, might up the listener numbers, but um, I, you know, I'm not sure. Um, it doesn't feel right. Um, really bearing my soul. I'm embarrassed by the amount that um we, we've talked about. Anyway, it feels very self indulgent. But I remember from the start you were saying that the idea of this will be we would follow the journey that I have over the period of the pod over the period of the podcast, and um, we would complement that with talking to experts about the, the the situation in assisted dying and, and the two things would make a show. So I guess that I hope that's what we've done. 
at the beginning we had this whole discussion about what we what we should call it and um you were kind of erring on the side of not going with the title that we've ended up with and I just wanted to tell you so that you can feel smug that we tried to do some social media adverts to get the word out about the podcast but they were all banned we basically got shut out of Facebook because we tried to use the word kill but you know obvious obvious reasons but yeah it turns out it's not a very practical name so you can say you told me so. No, I didn't, I didn't tell you so. I just, I just winced when you said the name. Um, that's, that's all. And I, I kind of still wince ever since. I'm not, I hadn't really thought that Facebook would, um, would ban you as a, or ban us as a result. But I suppose so, yeah. You can't, you can't use that word, can you? Which is sort of why we did. Um, I can't think of any alternative now, now we're this far in. Say we got a, a politician listener. Um, what, what, do you have a message for them? What do you hope will change off the off the back of this the first thing is no like, there was this debate not long ago where i think one hundred and fifty-five thousand people signed a petition saying they wanted parliament to debate it so parliament had to debate it so parliament took an afternoon in westminster hall the, the other big chamber and lots of mps got together and lots of people spoke and then a minister came up and said um oh i'm definitely going to take this very seriously and the government collapsed the next day um so i mean and that seems to be I mean, I, I kind of think that the assisted dying movement has been unlucky over the last few years because that seems to be the standard format. But it just shows how how lame the situation is. You know, 155,000 people very quickly sign a petition because they want to see change, and our politicians just simply, simply cannot get to grips with it. I'm I'm really depressed by that, um, and I don't see any any obvious way. I think more likely. The, the Scottish Parliament will get its act together first or Jersey will change its law, which is looking very likely. And that will, that will start make the administration of all this very difficult with boundaries and all that sort of stuff. And slowly, as, as, as Vince Cable said on this program, we'll be kind of shamed into it, which is a bit embarrassing, isn't it? And yeah, that's where I think we'll get to. I'm just aware that we've shared so much of what you've been going through with our listeners. What and it would be nice to just sort of share with people what happens next. I don't know. You know I'm sort of petering out here, <laughs> metaphorically and literally, yeah, as we speak. You know, that's, that's the way it is. And, um, you know, my world is getting smaller. It's, it is, I've got a birthday coming up soon. And Charlotte said, do, do, did I want to come and sit in the garden of some friends? And I was saying, you know what? I'm just kind of a bit tired and I'll be happy if it's just the poor of us. So. You know, if you get to the stage where sitting in your friend's garden is becoming too much of a of a, a big deal, a faff, a project, then yeah. you know, you're kind of probably uh, you know getting getting long in the tooth for this sort of stuff. I did notice last time we we saw you a few weeks ago. You seem to get tired quicker. What is it that's kind of happened to you in that sort of period since we last saw you, and this time where you you just seem to get tired quicker yeah i don't know what that is it's uh, is some of it's breathing and some of it is just i don't know i, I really don't it's, it's a, some kind of fatigue it's um some kind of clinical fatigue that doesn't clear itself really through sleep uh, it's something to do with the cells not creating energy at a, you know at a really basic cellular level that i find that very hard um, having lived an energetic life to to try and um counter that and 
I just sometimes say to Charlotte, I, you know, it can't go on because it's, everything feels like a battle. You know, working out how how the next operation to get to the bathroom and back, and you know those are, those sorts of things um, just become very hard. Then other days, um, it just happened to be a bit brighter. Yesterday, first time in years, I went to our local town and went shopping with my nineteen-year-old um, daughter Sasha, and she she bought me a pair of sunglasses which I needed, a pair of reading glasses which I needed, and a cap which I needed. And that was a really nice, relaxed afternoon out. And it proof that it still happens. And I'll, I'll treasure that day because it was brilliant. Amongst all the miserable stuff, the, there are still moments of great, bright happenings and clarity, relatively. So, yeah, you know, we just continue, don't we? You did tell my child, though, that the cat, when the cat... <laughs> it still makes me laugh. The cat wasn't killing the mice. It was just a taxi. It was a taxi. It was like an Uber for the mice. So Uber the mice for mice. Cool. <laughs> well, that's a nice thought, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's quite cute. As a mouse is dangling from the mouth of yeah. your... Oh, ginger beast of a cat. Prolific yeah. hunter of a cat, yeah. I know, yeah. I know. Um, well, no, I mean, I, I, these are white lies, aren't they? My children still give me grief about the, some of the things that they said at primary school because of what I put in their heads. But I think they'll be the better for it. As you're telling these white lies, I can almost feel Charlotte wanting to correct. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. I dug up one day, I dug up a big a big bone in the garden. I mean, it was a really big bone. I think it was the jawbone of a horse. Honestly, it really was. It was absolutely wow. huge. Anyway, so I cleaned it up and put a tag on it. A tag on it and um, it was it had gone quite nice. Um, it, it spent some time in my greenhouse and it had gone quite white in the sunlight. Anyway, so I put one of those museum tags on it and I put Rutlandosaurus Rex on it and got, and got the girls to take it to school as a dinosaur bone. Anyway, and of course, that's the kind of thing that they, they berate you about for, for, for reasons unknown in later life. We've kind of covered off the things that we wanted to, to cover off. I wondered whether there was a sort of final sign-off that you wanted to share to our, our listeners who been with us on this journey too no other than i can't believe that anyone's listened to all of this <laughs> quite honest. i mean why would you thanks for listening to kill phil we'd love to hear your thoughts and questions follow us on social media at kill phil podcast or email kill at jack and grace.co.uk